The question is, in this parasha, what happens to Bilam? He's not mentioned in the sin of Baal Peor. Uh, on the contrary, we're told that after finishing his parables, he returned to his place. And Bilam rose up and went and returned to his place. And Balak went on his way. Everyone scattered. And so two points contradict this assumption that Bilam was out of the picture. Remember, he tried to curse B'nai Israel, and in the end, uh, he blessed them. But what he did succeed right after that is the pericope of Baal Peor, the uh, sexual immorality uh, with the Midianite women. Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Bilam to revolt as to break faith with the Lord in the matter of Peor. It says right in the last chapter of Bamidbar. Doesn't say it here in Pinchas, but at the end it says, na 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 na, through the counsel of Bilam. Bilam had something to do with this whole Peor episode. And at the time of the war against the Midianites, Bilam was not in the city of Peor, but rather in the tents of Midian, where he was captured and killed. So his killing also attests to his guilt in the sin of Baal Peor. For Pinchas and his army went out to avenge that sin. Perhaps there is no escape from the explanation of the Abarbanel. Bilam, while on his way home, first visited the elders of Midian, who had initially come to him together with the elders of Moab. After being banished in disgrace by the Balak, the king of Moab, Bilam went to try his luck with the elders of Midian and suggested to them, according to the Aparbanel, like, I can't curse Am Yisrael, but there was one thing I did mention to you when I blessed them, and I saw that the tents were not facing, the windows not facing each other, and I saw how God was taking the sperm of him and putting it with them, and there was some kind of sacred, sacredness to their having relations in sanctity. So we could try that approach why don't you draw the young men of Israel into harlotry with their daughters to sacrifices offered to Baal Peor? And there he was captured at the time of God's vengeance against Midian and killed. So this too is proof that the daughters of Moab in the sin of Baal Peor were the daughters of Midian. And therefore the connection between Bilam and the sin of Baal Peor. Last week we talked about his eyesight. I want to just quickly revise with you what I call the light vort that runs through this whole episode, these last two, um, these two parshiot. Last week's parsha began, Vayar Balak ben Tzipor et kol saw Yisrael. Remember, Yisro had said the same thing, Vayar Yisro. Here was Vayar Balak ben Tzipor. And then it says, Bilam et Malach Adonai, the ass sees, but Bilam doesn't see. et Malach Adonai, and the ass sees and then presses his leg against the wall. And a third time, et Malach Adonai, tachas Bilam, and the the ass the 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 the, the she donkey was the angel of Shem and crouched beneath Bilam three times she sees it sees it and then only vayagal Adonai et Ene Bilam vayar et Malach Adonai 
God unrolls, he uncovers Willem's eyes, who now then sees the mullah standing in front of the ass. So there's this whole notion of not seeing and seeing. And then he goes up to the Bamot, Vayar Misham Ketsei Ha'am. He now sees the people and blesses them. And then Mimanar Afar Yaakov Mispar Et Rova Yisrael. We mentioned that last week, the Rova Yisrael, the quarter of Israel, or Rashi says Reviusom, their multiplications. Vayar Bilom Adonai. Now he sees that his blessings are going good with God. Now he opens his eyes. Vayar es Yisrael Shochen Okay, there's a lot of seeing going on. There's a lot of metaphors for vision. Last week we talked about spectroscopic binocular vision versus monocular. And now comes the episode of Pa'or. And the next statement is what in our Sedra? Uh, the last verse of last week's Sedra, Vayar Pinchas ben Elozo ben Arna Kohen. Doesn't tell you what he saw. It just says Vayar, Vayokam, and then he gets up and he takes the spear, blah, blah, blah. What is it that he saw? So, Vayar Pinchas, Rashi says it couldn't just be he was seeing what's going on, all the harlotry and the fornication. Now, it's obvious it's in the Pshat. So, Rashi then says he saw that there are laws about judicial ex execution and extrajudicial execution. Ra Mase Beniska Halocha Omaloilamoshe Mukublani Mimcha Boila Ramis Koinim Boinimbo. Now, do you remember teaching us that in these kind of situations, Kanain Poginbo, that a zealot can take the law into his own hands. Into his own hands. He can do it into his own hands. Bayar Pinchas ben Eloso ben Aaron period. What did he see? Into that space between Bayar and Bayokom comes this whole legal Supreme Court discussion with Moshe. Isn't it true? And Moshe forgets. He is silent. He does not remember the halacha. And so Pinchas gets up with the spear, Vayovo Achar Yish Yisrael El HaKuba. He goes to the, to the red light district where he's hanging out in the Kuba. Vayitko And he pierces them through in the act. And the Gemara says, had it not been in the act, he would have been a Rodef and they could have been Chayev Misa. It had to be. The whole Gemara in Sanhedrin goes into the whole Misa of when you are when it is appropriate to do that, when it is appropriate. It's really interesting that uh, Vayar Pinchas, the Vayaring, the seeing of Pinchas is something that, uh, that requires a vision, not just of what took place, but also what is the halacha about extrajudicial killing. Now, let's look at the Gemara that he's talking about. The Gemara says in Sanhedrin, Balmum Where do you get the idea that a Koyen, who turns out to have one of the mums, one of the blemishes, that does not allow him to adaka, different bodily blemishes, disqualifies him from the kahuna? Where do we get that from? And so, 
We get it from Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar to Amar Kra, Lochein Amor Hinini Nosein Lo Et Priti Shalom. Now this is a very interesting verse, because that's the first mention in our Pasha, in Pasha's Pinchas, and here, Lochein Amor Hinini Nosein Lo Et Priti Shalom. The Gemara says, I learn from the fact that a koyin is possible because it says, Hinini notain lo, I gave Pinchas brisi shalom. I gave him the brisi of shalom, of shlemus, my bris, the bris of the kahuna, which means that the bris of the kahuna works, but he has to have a shlemus. The shlemus means a complete. Well, is that so, the Gemara says? Look at the word shalom. If you look at the word shalom, the vav has a discontinuity in it. And, and so therefore, you could read it not with a vav, but with a yud, shlim. Shlim means perfect. So he learns from that orthography that the, it's not a Korean kativ. It's not I read it this way and read it that way. Everyone reads it shalom. But, but the reading, interestingly, it's the only time in the Torah that this has to be written by the scribe with a disconnection on the Vav, a Vav Katiya. Anywhere else in the Torah, if a scribe does that, the Torah is entirely possible. But here he must make that Shalom with a Vav Katiya. So the... So Without the, the Vav and with the Yud, it's a Shlim. Ah, from there I learn. So Rav Hananya says, well, in that case, why does, it, why does it have a Vav? And so the answer of the Gemara is, well, it's not a real Vav. It's a broken Vav. That's the answer in the Gemara. It's a broken Vav. So don't, don't, get your, don't get your knickers in a twist because it's a broken Vav. Okay. Now, I want to show you two other witnesses to the Torah. These two other witnesses, the Biblia Hebraica Stuttgartensia, and the shortened Vav appears in various medieval manuscripts to include the second edition of the Bomberg uh, Rabbinic Bible, which my, one of my mentors, Jack Lunzer, was able to squeeze out of the Vatican. The Biblical Hebraic and the second edition of the Bomberg, which is 1524, does show it. It does show it. But earlier witnesses, including the one on the left over here, which is the Codex Leningrad, that's around 9, 10th century, about 916, reflects no shortened Vav. There's no Vav Katir. Can you see? You can see the Vav. And the Masoretic text, according to Oriental 4445 at the Bodleian Library in Oxford, reflects no shortened Vav. This is around 820 to 850. It's even earlier than the, than the other codex. So in summary, the Masoretic texts were meticulous to record variations or other notes deemed important, but there is no record of the shortened Vav in at least two of the most reliable codices we have today. More importantly, there are no Dead Sea Scrolls or variations in the Targum that would otherwise provide uh, more information. So this is really a late product, as you can see from these early witnesses. 
uh, of this Vav Katiya. Nevertheless, the Gemara talks about it. The Gemara talks about the Vav Katiya. And the Gemara is 6th century Babylon. So let's discuss what's going on here. If we look at the Jerusalem edition of the Talmud, going to that same place in Sanhedrin, which is the equivalent of Sanhedrin 82, which is, uh, in, in the Yerushalmi, it's, uh, it's the tractate Sanhedrin 9-7. It says the following, The elders of Israel sought to excommunicate Pinchas. They didn't validate what he did. He took the law into his own hand until the Holy Spirit hurried and said, It shall be for him a Brit Shalom. Then everyone backed down when the Shekhinah came down and said, Whoa, stop it. We're not going to put you in there. You did the right thing. And the Torah Tamima, Reboruch Epstein, explains, Such a deed, therefore, Chazal were very torn. Do you go through a judicial process, what we call due process? Or can you take the law into your own hands under exceptional circumstances? And so Reboruch Epstein in the 19th century writes, a deed such as this must be accompanied and animated by an unadulterated spirit of zeal to advance the glory of God. Now, we had in the 50s, you know, someone who was so anti-communist, he had hearings in the Senate, right? And it turned out that it wasn't L'Shem Shemaim in the end. He was on a witch hunt. He was a zealot. People lost their careers. In, the case, who, in, in, in such a case, who can tell whether the perpetrator is not really motivated by a selfish motive? I'm doing it for the sake of God. You know, Yushalayim is full of two types of people. Those who are machrim, they put you in cheirem, and those who are muhram, those who are put in cheirem. There's no one in between. The rabbis of the Jerusalem Talmud, according to Reboruch Epstein, understand Pinchas's act as singular and acceptable only with the testimony of God. No matter what the provocation, kanos, or zealousness, such as Pinchas, requires immediate excommunication. An individual prone to such action cannot be abided in the community. And therefore, God's interaction in this case, in the Yerushalmi, is promoting Pinchas as a uniquely righteous individual, not to be copied in future. Now, the Medrash in Shmos Rabbah, 33.5, so it's after chapter 14, so it's late. Pinchas says, a horse who goes to war risks his life for his master. How much more so should I risk my life for the Kiddush Hashem, for the sanctification of the Holy One? What shall I do? Alone I cannot prevail. Two can overpower one, one can overpower two. And while he was pondering, the epidemic raged among the Israelites. Remember, until he did this act... The plague was killing people. Like the first text, the Medrash in Shmos Rabbah assumes his righteousness. To do so, it denies zeal for God as a motive for his actions and sees only that he needed to act in order to end God's plague. Now, the Gemara in Zvachim 101 says he did not become a priest until he had made peace with the tribes, Ruvain, God, and half Menashe and the rest of Israel. The Gemara is now in Savachim much less certain about how righteous he was, much less certain of the righteousness than in the Yushalmi and Shmos Rabbah. Were his actions warranted? 
and he didn't become a coin until he made peace with the others. Let me just take you to the Nitziv, and the Nitziv is very interesting. Again, a psychological twist as to what's going on. Esprissi Shalom, the Nitziv says something very interesting. The Nitziv offers his explanation for the Brit Shalom. In reward for turning away the wrath of God, remember, Kanoki Nesi, he was very zealous for me, and then I, he assuaged my rage attack, right? Because he did that, he got a bracha from God. Now, what was the bracha? Listen to the Nitziv. Baruchu b'midas ha-shalom. Oh, of course, he got shalom, brisi shalom. But what is the brisi shalom? It's not the kahuna. Shelo yakpid velo yarkiz. In the reward for turning away the wrath of God, it was mida keneged mida. He was given the attribute of peace so that he shouldn't be any more quick-tempered or angry. <laughs> it's a stunning nativ. The psychological reward for his act of kanos was the entire opposite kind of personality. Ragua, calm, not taking the law into your own hands. This is why he was given the kahuna, because he was hidden first the bracha to be lo yakpid, lo yargiz. Don't be a hakpaden. Because in, by nature, in order to do what he had to do, he had to be a rageaholic. He had to be able to be impetuous. Absolutely stunning. I want to share with you the Shem Mishmur. We're now talking about the 19th century Rebbe's. Nitziv isn't a Rebbe, but the Shem Mishmur is. And let's look at the Shem Mishmur. He had a very interesting take on what's going on. And he says as follows. He says, That he, Bollock, understood, and this is really goes to the heart of what we started off with in terms of Bollock couldn't get them through the blessings, but he could get them through the very act that he saw that was of great sanctity, the way they reproduced, which is through their lovemaking. He was totally amenable to the Jewish people pursuing a spiritual path. And he says, that's okay as long as you're in the Midbar. Yeah, as long as you're in the wilderness, you're up on the mountain, you're in a monastery, you can behave all holy, holy, spiritual. Because you're under the Dananiya cover, the Yochlu Hamon, all these miracles are happening. Lishtos may be'er. Because all these things didn't happen to them. These were all miracles. And why? Because Bilam split, like I said last week, between the spiritual and the physical. Okay. This world should stay in its Gashmias and they should fill their desire in this world. But he wanted to split them from the spiritual and the physical. Hainu, and here's the point of the Shemishmur, very original. 
Al yedei shelo yikonsu le'eretz, velo yikayim mitzvahs ha'tluis be'aretz. They could, it's easy to demonstrate how spiritual and frum you are in the desert when you're in a monastery. But once you come into Eretz Yisrael and you have to be mekayim the mitzvahs ha'tluis be'aretz, then in the land of the of Israel, they wanted to demonstrate how that spiritual quality that they had amassed in the Midbar, all that 40 years of training, could successfully be integrated into the everyday life of a farmer. So that the body could be equal in spirituality to the good to the nefesh by the mitzvahs at Tluyus that he wasn't willing to do. And therefore wanted this utopian vision of a life, I'm thinking of Rav Cook as I'm speaking, is antagonistic to his whole Weltanschauung. And it had to be eliminated before it got taken out. So dazzling understanding uh, of, the, um, uh, of, of the Shem Mishmur. I want to end with the most dazzling of all, because everyone has a problem with the kanos. And um, I wanted to end with the Priha'aretz. Now, the Priha'aretz was Rav Menachem Mendel of Vitebsk. He was a Talmud of the Baal Shem HaKadosh himself. So we're getting pure Baal Shem Tov Torah, very close to the Degel Machen Ephraim. And once I finish with that, I'll give you my my own take. And so he starts off by saying, really, Pinchas was a Hasidic Rebbe. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way to describe how he's making Pinchas. He quotes the Gemara, Baal Mum Olam, you know, the, in the Gemara in, in, in Sanhedrin. And Rav Yehuda says, well, it says, behold, I give to him my covenant of Shalom, which means he received the covenant when he was Shalem, without the Vov, with the Yud. And then Rav Nachman says, no, 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 not so fast. It says Shalom rather than Shalem. So Rav Nachman says, yeah, it does say Shalom, but the letter Vav is severed. Now he talks about this severed letter Vav. And he starts going on about the Shechina. And he says a person who is in fear of heaven and cleaves to the Shechina lacks nothing at all. His entire world is like nothing to him compared to the grief of the Shechina in its separation from God. So when a person exists with such a force, he's entirely devoted to the Shechina. He's detached from the source of judgment. And now fasten your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen. He is in fact beyond the letter of the law itself. And it's impossible for him to actively consider going by the word of Torah on the account of this divine love sickness. I mean, if I wouldn't have read these words, I would have thought this. this, this I, I just couldn't believe when I saw this. He's in love. He's besotted with the divine. He has no time to go into the, into the nitty-gritty of the law. Yes, no, judicial, extrajudicial. This was Pinchas for the passion of Hashem when he witnessed the lowliness of the Shekhinah because the Shekhinah had been dragged down when Am Yisrael was whoring after the women of Midian. They dragged down them 
the, the divine matron with them in, in accordance with the statement of the Baal Shem that everything a person perceives in this world is what he needs to perceive and what he does not perceive is not necessary for him to perceive. So Pinchas, through his self-abnegation, through his beetle, relative to the words of Torah, he had asked a learned man whether or not he was obligated to negate himself for 24,000 and kill Simri. They wouldn't have allowed him to do that. That's an extrajudicial killing. Moshe was silent on the fact when he asked him a Shiloh. But by his own life, he was unable to stand for it because of the Shechina was in such tsar, and the law of Torah didn't even arise in his mind on, the cone, on account of how lowly the Shechina was, which then goes into the orthography that we spoke about before between that Vav, which is the Yud on the top and the Vav extended below. Well, what is the Yud and the Vav? The Yud and the Vav is the Tiferes and Malchus. Malchus is disconnected. It becomes completely forlorn and needs rescuing. What does one make of all of this? I recently saw a book by P.J. Long, a mother who suffered a traumatic brain injury when she fell off a horse, and she writes about it in her books, Gifts from a Broken Jar. This is the broken valve we're talking about. Gifts from a Broken Jar. And she records, recounts a story from India about a village boy who brought water to a wealthy man. Every day, the boy walked several miles from the village to the river and back, carrying water in two clay jars, one in his left hand and one in his right hand. The man paid for the water that was delivered, one full jar and one half jar. For the jar in one hand was cracked and its water leaked out along the roadside. The guy paid for the full jar, full whack. Half jar, I'm only paying you for what you brought me. One day he sat to rest before returning to the river. And a spirit in the cracked jar spoke to him. I am very sorry, my master, that you have to work harder because of me. If I were perfect like the other jar, you would not need to take so many trips and you could collect more money too. I am sorry that because of me you have suffered. The boy was surprised to hear such words. He did not think his life was miserable. He replied to the spirit, Because of you, I am very, very lucky. A broken jar makes life beautiful. Come, let me show you. Together they walked back to the river. One side of the path was bare and dusty, but along the other side where the water had trickled down from the broken jar, the way was strewn with wildflowers. <laughs> the broken jar reminded me of the fracturing of the vav in this paradoxical gift to Pinchas, the written Torah may be informing us in its earliest possible coding the undermining of the plain meaning of the narrative. 
before the Midrashic tradition of interpretation, within the very core of the corpus of the text itself, the orthography, the shape of the letters, the sofa has already embedded a tradition albeit differing from the Yemenite scribes and the Ashkenazim and the codices that we showed you, as to where the disconnecting point of the stem should lie along the axis of the Vav. That will demand explanation by later Agadic authorities. How ironic this fracture seems. Shalom means whole, perfect, integrated, at peace. It has a positive connotation everywhere it is used in the Hebrew Bible, which makes this orthographic oddity even more dramatic. The written text of the Torah has a shape. It has pauses, openings, ending markers, with the careful use of the spaces, larger, smaller lettering, small yuds, big yuds. So this unique marking is all the more startling. And so... I would like to suggest my thoughts. If God gave the Pinchas the gift of bris shalom, then why might the very word shalom be imperfect? Why might the vav be disconnected in its stem? If the stem represents the connection to the divine or to our higher selves, not only within the torso, the yud, vav, but also the bris, the yud, between the lower and upper worlds, surely the flawed vav signifies a deeper fracture than initially implied. And there are times when completion or perfection can only come by through fracture and breakage. The best example is a brismila. Before a male undergoes removal of the foreskin, he is damaged in that way. And I wanted to therefore suggest that this brokenness represents our inner selves. And our inner selves are broken. And it's a healing text because the vault that is broken represents our broken lives, our broken world, our broken, unredeemed, yet to be redeemed world. And I think that the healing nature of this text, going through all the Mepharshim that we have today, represents the fact that it is giving us um, space to breathe, space to deal with our brokenness, with that vodkatia. Um, and that gives us hope. The fact that within the Brit of Kahuna, uh, is encoded that word shalem and shalom, that we live in that delicate space between the yud and the vav, in that fractured space. We breathe, we're given free will. We live on that knife edge between shleimut and shalom. Shalom is perfection, no question. The koyan has to be perfect. We're not perfect. What is shleimut? Shleimut is integration to take all parts of ourselves and to integrate them into the whole. And I think this is the message of what's going on. Vayar Pinchas. Pinchas saw the brokenness of Am Yisrael, the disconnection with the Shekhinah through their behavior, the disconnection with their higher selves. He saw it in himself and therefore realized that he had to reconnect with the divine by rescuing the Shekhinah.
Have a wonderful week. Hope to see you backstage side next week. <laughs>